You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. If you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan, then make sure you're subscribed to our email newsletter. Go to assemblycall.com slash join today and sign up for free. That's assemblycall.com slash join. This episode of The Assembly Call is brought to you by Crane Credit Union. Get a $150 deposit into your new Crane Credit Union checking account when you get e-statements, have direct deposit, and use your debit card. Plus, there's no monthly service charges and no minimum balance to open your account. Stop into any of Crane Credit Union's 14 locations or visit their website at cranecu.org for more information. That's cranecu.org. Crane Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. And now, get ready for another brand new edition of Assembly Call Radio. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. This is episode number 34 of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 326th episode overall of the Assembly Call. And tonight's episode recorded on the evening of Thursday, July 6th, 2017. I am Jared Morris, your host for Assembly Call Radio, where each week we break down the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. And remember, once the season starts, you can catch us immediately after every IU basketball game on the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Watch us live at assemblycall.com. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to assemblycall.com slash YouTube. And if you can't catch one of our shows live, you can always catch up with our podcast. Just search for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts and you will find us. All right, well, let's begin this show how we always begin, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment, and not a lot to choose from this week because there's not a whole lot that went on in the world of Indiana basketball this week, but my banner moment is seeing some of the images uh, and just, again, you know, really all, all we're getting right now are kind of little tastes of the off-season workouts, and we got to see a nice... Uh, compilation of images from the IU basketball Twitter account of freshman Al Durham, Clifton Moore, and Justin Smith doing workouts with new strength and conditioning coach Cliff Marshall. And really, you know, look, that's what the offseason is about, getting your body ready for the rigors of the college basketball season. And that's especially true for freshmen. And really, you know, Al Durham, you know, we're not sure how much he will play as a freshman, but I think we all expect Justin Smith and Clifton Moore to be able to get on the court as freshmen. Uh, and really, you know, be able to play as much as they're ready to play. Clifton, especially, given the dearth of, uh, you know, size behind Deron Davis, he's a guy that Indiana could really use. And, you know, from a skill level, it sounds like, you know, skill-wise, he will probably be ready to play college basketball, but will he from a size perspective? And so just seeing those guys on campus working hard, uh, you know, growing and, and developing their bodies as they are, that's the banner moment for right now uh, without a lot of other options to choose from. So that's what we'll go with. All right, well, let me now introduce my esteemed co-host for this evening. There's just one. First off, we've got to offer a huge bit of congratulations to Zach McCrite, uh, who has been joining us this offseason as a, one of our co-hosts and will be joining us during the season as well. But he and his wife just welcomed their second child into the world today. So congratulations to them. That is a very, very exciting moment, obviously. Uh, so he will not be with us. Ryan also is not with us. He is actually taking a printed out version of his big lead article from several weeks back that suggested that the Pacers trade for Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis when they traded Paul George. He's very, very proud of that prediction, so he's printed it out, and he's somewhere getting it framed so that he can then give it to his parents for their birthday uh, coming up. So that's where Ryan is. He won't be able to be with us. But here with me, one of the world's most respected racketologists and the president of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, he is Andy Bottoms. Andy Tons of options to choose from. What is your bottoms line from the past week in Indiana basketball? I mean, I think you know that Ryan is busy if if he wasn't able to take advantage of this opportunity to uh, to pat himself on the back on that prediction. So, I mean, if there was any question about his commitment and how busy he really was to miss the show, I think I think those have been answered uh, yeah. there. I you know I'll actually. Uh, 
you know, as, as you said, we talked a little bit before we we went on the air that there's not a lot to pick from. But I do think the Oladipo uh, trade and getting him back to Indianapolis um, is, is I guess, the story of the week from my perspective for IU basketball. Um, you know, I know you and uh, Alex Bozich talked about that on podcast on the brink this week and what, if anything, that might mean uh, for Indiana. And I think it's certainly any time that you have a guy who really was able to, you know, kind of galvanize the fan base and, and really get people excited and is a name who, you know, recruits now are going to know, uh, getting him in a position where he'll have the the chance to more easily uh, interact with and access the program, I think is only a good thing. Um, you know, he certainly, you know, has really embraced the Indianapolis area. That's where his basketball camp was over the summer. And so, um, you know, really IU fans welcoming him home uh, is exciting for them from a fan's perspective. But I do think, um, you know, if he and Archie Miller can build some kind of relationship, uh, I think that has the potential to have some positive impact uh, from a recruiting standpoint, both in the Indianapolis area and in just in Indiana as a whole. So, um, you know, given the work ethic and all the things that we've applauded Victor for, uh, having a guy like that be able to be closer to the program on a more regular basis uh, is nothing but a good thing in my eyes, uh, regardless of what it means for the Pacers or or, or any of that. I, I look at it all through, uh, you know, cream and crimson colored glasses. So uh, for me, that's nothing but positive for, uh, for IU. I agree. Well, we've got a packed show for you tonight, uh, despite the lack of headlines uh, from Indiana basketball right now. We're going to talk a little bit more about Victor Oladipo and the Pacers. We're going to talk about uh, Tom Crean's thank you note that he just posted on Twitter earlier today. And then we're going mailbag because you guys submitted some inspired questions this week, and we're going to hit a lot of them. Uh, Questions like who's on our IU Mount Rushmore, which record broken during the Tom Crean era, uh, do we think will last the longest uh, and a bunch of other ones. These are some really good creative questions. So I'm excited to, uh, to dive into these. And so we will get to all of that and more on this week's edition of assembly call radio real quick before we jump into all of those topics, a quick word about this week's sponsor seat geek buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with seat geek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. As I have mentioned, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I can tell you this. If I lived in Indianapolis uh, this coming season, I would be using the SeatGeek app to buy tickets to Pacers games to see Victor play. Uh, I am certainly going to try and do that if I'm assuming the Pacers will make a trip down here to Dallas. So to see Victor and Yogi playing on the same court would be awesome. Uh, But when you're going to go see Victor play, use SeatGeek because you will find the best deal and you can do it right there on their app, on their phone, because SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience Easier than ever, and best of all, our listeners get $20 off of their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. And you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Alrighty, well, you are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms. Uh, And Andy, you mentioned in your bottoms line, Victor Oladipo coming back to the Pacers. uh, And I agree with you. I mean, look, I don't think... You know, having Victor up in Indianapolis is going to mean that he can just drive down to Bloomington on Romeo Langford's visit and say magic words and Romeo Langford commits. Like, it's not like it's going to be some amazing thing, but I don't think... I believe the exact opposite of what you just said. <laughs> I think that's true. Don't give people false hope, Bottoms. Don't do it. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry, sir. But, you know, it's one of those things, like, it can't hurt, you know, to have a constant reminder right up the road of a guy that was drafted, you know, number two uh, in, in the draft and a guy that's having a successful NBA career. Uh, and certainly, you know, he seems like a guy who loves Indiana, fully embraced the state and the university. Uh, and so it wouldn't shock me to see him pop down, you know, if they have a homestand, pop down and go to a game. And obviously he would get a ridiculous ovation uh, if he stepped into Simon Scott Assembly Hall. So I think that's all good. Uh, and I just, you know, I guess real quick, you know, we can just talk about what the trade means for Victor. I mean, I think we were all excited when he went number two in the draft, but then bummed by the reality that he was playing, you know, in basically NBA purgatory in Orlando. And, you know, he seemed to be on a good progression from his freshman, or, you know, from his, his rookie to his second year. His numbers dipped a little bit in his third year. He dealt with some injuries, you know, kind of came off the bench. His role changed a little bit. And then he goes to Oklahoma City, and I think everybody's really intrigued to see how he will fit with, or, you know, how he would fit with Russell Westbrook. And it wasn't 
maybe the as good a fit as people thought it may be. Now, you know, his lack of, you know, being a great outside shooter, I think, hurt him. And obviously, you know, Westbrook is a guy who needs the ball in his hands and is going to have the ball in his hands a lot and, you know, kind of makes his uh, makes his money driving to the basket, which is a lot of what Victor does. So there was some overlap there between the two. And so I think getting out of that shadow, you know, into a situation in Indiana where maybe he'll be able to be featured more, put in more positions to succeed more than just a spot up shooter, which he can do. And he actually had his best three point shooting season last year. But we know from watching him, you know, he's better when he has the ball in his hands and can create a little bit and can drive and, uh, you know, and obviously then get out and transition, you know, something that obviously Russell Westbrook was taking a lot of those opportunities. So I'm optimistic as a guy who has really, you know, followed Victor and wants to see him succeed in the NBA. I'm optimistic that this will be a better situation for him from a player development standpoint. And I certainly think from the Pacers position, you know, you're trading away Paul George. You're clearly not looking to compete this season you know, I know people are criticizing them for getting, you know, 60 cents on the dollar, 70 cents on the dollar, whatever for Paul George. But if you're going to go into that situation, you could do a lot worse than bringing back a guy that a, a big portion of your fan base absolutely loves and adores. Uh, and so that to me is kind of smart rebuilding where you still keep people intrigued and excited because of that, you know, kind of local tie. Uh, but you know, you're still kind of moving on and, and rebuilding a little bit. So not the perfect situation for the Pacers, but, you know, I thought it was smart in some ways, and I think it's going to end up being good for Victor in the long run. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, I think everybody was excited about watching him go to Oklahoma City with the thought of being able to play with Durant and Westbrook as that, you know, complimentary piece who could uh, who could be there. And, and the reality was that didn't happen. And That's right. Then, I forgot Durant was still there when he... Yeah. Went. So I think he got forced into a, you know, into a position that I don't know that he was equipped to, to really do where he had to be the, you know, the second guy. I mean, he ended up being, you know, second on the team in scoring. Uh, and, and so I, I just think that situation wasn't really, you know, what anybody thought it would be when he first went there. Now, you know, the Durant thing was always a possibility, I suppose. But, um, you know, they were trying to get a complimentary piece and, and, you know, that just didn't really work out that way. I think from a, a pacer standpoint, it, it, you have to try to separate the, the, you know, kind of economics of it, I guess, if you want to say it that way from the, uh, you know, the on-court product, because as you said, they're going to be in a rebuilding mode. You know, anybody can speculate as to what they could have gotten, what they were offered for Paul George. Um, you know, well, there are very few people who I think will ever know the, the real answer to what that was. Um, Ryan so for knows. them, from an economic, well, besides him, uh, you know, from a, from an economic standpoint, you got a guy who's going to put butts in seats in, in the short term while you try to, um, figure out what your plan really is to rebuild. Um, you know, the problem is obviously that there's very little reason to believe that the team's going to be all that good. You've got, uh, Miles Turner, who's exciting from a, a, you know, a young player standpoint. And I think Thaddeus Young will still be there. Um, but otherwise you've got a decent amount of, of turnover. I think they re-signed Darren Collison. Uh, as a as a point guard, so it, it it'll be interesting to see you know what what they really do. But he's also you know getting to the point where you know veteran maybe is is not the right word, but you do have a little bit of an experienced guy who I think based on everything we've seen from IU and and you know nothing in the NBA would suggest otherwise is going to be a good guy to have in the locker room um, to help some of the young guys that they are going to bring in like a uh, you know an Edmund Sumner who is coming off an injury. Um, you know, TJ Leaf, I think will be, you know, an interesting piece to add there. So I think he can be a good influence on those guys. Um, but you know, I don't think anybody goes into it thinking that that trade is going to make the Pacers, you know, even, you know, middle of the pack probably, uh, in, in the East. Um, but I think it's, you know, overall, I, I guess if you've got to trade somebody away, if you can get somebody in, um, that you think is going to sell some tickets, you know, right or wrong, whether that's the way to look at it or not. I think that's that was certainly a factor in, in the decision that was made. And um, hopefully good for him to kind of get a, uh, you know, a fresh start where he has a chance to probably play a little bit more of a leadership role than I think he was ever really going to be able to do in Oklahoma City. Yep. You know, the other, I guess, piece of news, Indiana related. And again, it's about a former Hoosier. Uh, but that is Tom Crean issued a, you know, a nice thank you note via Twitter. Um, I won't read the whole thing now. Um, but it was nice. You know, if you go to twitter.com slash Tom Crean, he's back on Twitter now. He's being a little bit more active. Uh, it's a nice, you know, letter. We, you know, I want to thank you all for being part of our last nine years. Been blessed to have 18 years at two tremendous schools and fan bases. 
it goes on from there. Um, and I think it was a, a nice thing to do, a classy thing to do. And I think after some of the, at least what I took is, you know, just kind of passive aggressiveness after the firing. Um, it was nice to see this and hopefully this kind of shuts that door and now everybody can move on. And obviously we wish coach Crean well, want to see him succeed. We'll cheer for him wherever he is next. Um, but hopefully this kind of puts an end, an official end to that chapter and he can look forward. We can all look forward and, you know, move on as a fan base and he can move on as a coach to his next stop. Did you have any thoughts about the, the thank you note? No, I mean, I, I think kind of what you would, you, what you would expect, you know, just kind of a, a you know, a, a classy gesture and, and saying thank you. And I think sometimes for as much as we, you know, want to jump on these, these guys and all these things, I mean, they do really become part of the community. He kind of referenced different aspects of the, of the community that they had befriended in their time there. Um, whether that be, you know, students or, or fans or church or, or whatever that might be. And, um, you know, that's a, a long time to live somewhere. Um, and you go through a lot and have a lot of great memories there, no matter how it ended. Um, and so, you know, certainly as you said, wish them the best, I think probably, uh, also, you know, good for them to a certain extent to kind of get some closure and, and be someplace else. I think it probably would be, you know, equally difficult to be living in a place where, um, you had some of those memories and, and certainly in that role, uh, would be a little bit weird, I think, to be you know to be there on a day in and day out basis in in such a different capacity. So, um, you know, it sounds like he's going to take a year and do you know some TV work and and things like that, which I think he'll be uh, very good at as he's proven to be over the over the last couple of years, and then see what opens up uh, in the future after that, and and presumably get back into coaching. I noticed he didn't thank you for tracking every single one of his substitution decisions over the last That's six years. <laughs> truly, truly thankless, thankless from the beginning, thankless at the end. Uh, alrighty. Uh, so let's move forward here on this episode of the assembly call. We will take a quick break and then we are going to start answering your questions with, we're going to kick it off with probably my favorite question that we've ever had submitted. Uh, and this comes to us from a longtime listener and he wants to know which of the individual records that were set during the Tom Crean era, do we think will fall or will hold on the longest? And there are more records than you would think. Stick around. We'll talk about them next. You're listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here talking IU Hoops with Andy Bottoms, and we are going to jump right into our Twitter Q&A, and we're going to go first to Greg, who asked perhaps my favorite question that we've ever gotten in, one, in, a, in a Twitter Q&A from an Assembly Call listener. Greg asks, which all-time Indiana individual record from the Crean era will stand the longest? And then he actually provided three options. So the options that he provided were Yogi's 633 assists in a career, Victor Oladipo's 78 steals in a season, and then Jordan Hull's 58 consecutive made free throws. So he wants to know which which of those records will stand the longest. But the thing is, I went back and, and dug in a little bit today. Those are not the only individual records. So a few others that we can toss in here if we want to, Andy. You've got Thomas Bryant's uh, single-season field goal percentage from his freshman year, which was 68.3%. That number is still mind-boggling especially when you consider that the next up is Matt Nover uh, at 62.8 and then Cody Zeller at 62.3%, which just puts into perspective just how great Thomas Bryant was as a freshman, really just how great that entire offense was. Uh, but then you've also got Yogi's consecutive games made with a three-pointer at 68, uh, which is an amazing record. And then, of course, you've got games played. Yogi with 137, Jordan Halls with 135, and then games started, Yogi with 137. So Yogi, obviously his name is all over the Indiana record book now. Uh, and then just to add a little bit more context to the records that uh, that Greg provided, Yogi had 633 assists. Next up is Michael Lewis with 545, and then Quinn Buckner at 542. Now, obviously, a lot more games are played now, so for some of those counting stats, it's a little bit misleading. You know, when newer guys are passing older legends, you know, sometimes they just have more games to rack up stats. But still, when we're talking about records, that matters because I don't think they're going to be cutting games. Uh, and then Victor, 78 steals in a season. Isaiah is second with 74. Quinn Buckner, third at 65. And then Isaiah again at 62. And then Jordan Hull's made free throw streak of 58. Next up is Pat Graham at 38. Then Keith Smart at 37. And then this one surprised me, Christian Watford making 33 in a row. Uh, I did not remember that. So of all of those, Andy, and you've got seven options there, which one do you think will last the longest? 
there there are a lot of good choices. I think, like you said, there was maybe more to this one than than people would have initially thought. Um, I, I'll kind of talk my way. Well, I think I think I'm going to go with the Bryant field goal percentage one. And I'll really I, I, I think again, because if I mean, just look how because hmm. there's a hundred there's a minimum of yeah, 100. minimum 100 attempts. So so you've got that. So you got to get somebody who's going to take, you know, that's not a ton of shots a game. It's, you know, three to four shots a game. But to be able to hit at that clip, I, I think I go with what you said. Like the gap between that and the next person is is pretty wide when you think about that, you know, that number of attempts. Um, I, I kind of eliminated the three pointers in, in a row just because the three point shot has become so prevalent and obviously a huge accomplishment to make it. That's another one where there's a pretty huge gap. But um, I think in today's like college basketball world, that that one seems to me like you'd be able to get it. Um, yeah. The, the the steals I kind of set aside. The free throw streak maybe is another one I thought about. Um, I I think any of the Yogi ones in terms of assists uh, or even games started w- would be right up there as well. But like you said, with the assists, you get to the point where you're playing so many games um, that could that could really help if you get a you know a solid point guard who's uh, who stays the longest. So I I'm gonna go the field goal percentage. I was surprised based on the way you teed it up that you did not go the same route. So which one are you taking? Well, here's the thing. My gut reaction when I first laid all these out was to say the field goal percentage one because you just you look at that gulf and it's just it's massive. I mean, six, I know six percentage points may not seem like a lot, but that's a ton. And but here's the thing that kept me from going with that one, which is. You know, look, you've got to get a guy like Thomas Bryant was as a freshman who's just playing solely down low. Like, I mean, all almost all of his field goal attempts were in the paint. Like, he wasn't taking a lot of three-pointers his freshman year like he was his sophomore year. And I think we're seeing big men be so versatile now, taking more three-pointers, where that may be a valuable shot just from a you know, field goal percentage, because that's not two-point field goal percentage, that's overall field goal percentage, that's going to bring you down a little bit. You know, we saw that, you know, drag his field goal percentage down uh, as a sophomore in addition to not being as efficient down low. So I just, I I, I don't know. I guess in a way I'm kind of arguing that that one's going to last a little bit longer um, because I also think that there was kind of some special sauce to that offense and you had a guy like Thomas who's so good down low, but then that offense was so perfect to get him open looks because of how many three-point shooters there were. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess on that one, I kind of argue myself both ways. I think it's the Jordan Hulls one, though. I mean, I think 57 free throws in a row, and if you'll recall, that one spanned two seasons because he made 41 in the 2010-11 season, then started the 2011 season into November, making 17 more in a row. So that 58 is actually a Big Ten record. That's a ton of free throws in a row. And now, you know, if someone even gets close to that, it's kind of like, you know, anybody in a hitting streak in baseball, they'll know about it. And I just think Jordan Hulls was such a terrific shooter, and I think the pressure would start to build on something like that, even free throws, you know, where it's not like three-pointers where you have an entire game to make one. Like, you can't miss one free throw. And I think as guys get to 40, 45, you know, as as important as that record is since it's Jordan Hulls, I think the pressure might get to guys there. Uh, And then the other thing to think about is, you know, for Yogi's records, you know, those are going to be hard to break because you have to be an elite point guard. You've got to start from day one and you've got to play for four years. And that's a really unique combination to have. And even Yogi almost went pro after his junior year. So there's a lot of really good options there. I think if I had to put some money on it, I would put it on Jordan Hall's free throw uh, streak. I just don't, I don't see how we get a guy who's that great of a free throw shooter gets on that kind of a streak and that the pressure doesn't get to him before 50, eight free throws because that's a just a ridiculous amount yeah I, I think there I don't know that there was a bad like I said there was a couple I, I kind of eliminated out of the shoot but um yeah I think the the game started one is is pretty impressive because even if you look at that you know 137 over the course of you know four years if you do the you know quick math that's 34 games a year so while the season's certainly getting longer and who knows how many big 10 games will add and things like that you actually have to be on a, a team that achieves enough in those seasons, whether that's through conference tournament play or through NCAA tournament play, to to rack up that many. Um, and not to mention just to stay healthy for that and actually to be, as you said, to start from day one. Um, it's one thing to play in that many games, which is impressive in and of itself, but to be able to start all those. 
So yeah, you could you could probably talk me into you know if there's seven of these on the list, you could probably talk me into three or four of them, and I I, I wouldn't really argue it too much. Yeah. All right. So to answer your question, Greg, I'm going with Jordy's 58 free throws in a row. And Andy, your final answer is Thomas Bryant's single season field goal percentage. You think that one's going to stand the test yep. of time? I'll, I'll go with that one. Okay. All righty. So there you have it. Greg, awesome question. Uh, keep sending in questions because you always send in good ones. Right, you are listening to the assembly column. Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms. We are answering the questions that you sent in via Twitter and we've got another great one. And I really feel like this was planted specifically for you, Andy. Although, as we start going through the numbers, you'll see how it might have been planted specifically for me. So, this is from Brandon Brown, and he wonders, will Robert Johnson finish his career in the top 20 on IU's career points list? He says, I say uh, 17th is doable. What do you think on this, Andy? And again, to uh, give a little bit of context, he's at, if I did my math correct, and if the numbers in the press guide were correct, he's at 978 points currently, which is tied for 51st with Matt Nover. Which we'll call this Matt Nover night because his name is coming up a bunch. Shout out to Ricky Rowe. We gave a kid a tractor? <laughs> One of the greatest lines in movie history. <laughs> if you don't know that reference, turn this off and watch Blue Chips right now and then come back. Uh, so he's at 978 currently. Uh, so just to so, – so people understand where he can go. If he averages 14 points a game this year, and let's say Indiana plays 35 games. Hopefully we play more, but let's say conservatively Indiana plays 35 games. They played 34 last year. That would be 490 points, which would be 1,468. That would put him at 19th between DJ White and Walt Bellamy. So, you know, in 14 points a game, I think a lot of us assume he'll be the leading scorer. That seems pretty doable. Well, let's say he really takes a leap as a senior, and let's say he averages 17 points per game, a number that I just chose, you know, because that would be, that seems reasonable if he really goes to the next level. That would be 595 points would put him at 1,573 for his career. That would put him at 15th, right below Greg Graham, who scored 1,590 points uh, in his career and above Randy Whitman. So it's possible that we're living in a world where Robert Johnson could have more career points than Walt Bellamy and Randy Whitman, which is crazy, but also a testament, I think, to how surprisingly consistent Robert Johnson has been, you know, maybe if you haven't been paying attention, and then also, again, to the effect of playing a lot more games, obviously. Uh... So what do you think? Where do you think – what are you kind of projecting for Robert? Where do you think he ends up? Uh, and, and if he somehow passes Greg Graham on the all-time scoring list, how vindicated am I at that, at that point? I Probably <laughs> intolerable to be around, I would, I would assume. I, I mean, I don't really know. You're, you're not too, too into patting yourself on the back, but that could, uh, that could certainly do it. So, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, – I mean, it seems possible. If you look – I mean, you kind of – if you take – health out of the out of the equation entirely um you know then it certainly feels doable you know he obviously could be even higher on the list than he is now had it not been for the injury uh, a couple years ago um that really he played about three quarters of the minutes that year that he played um you know last season so even that at his rate of production that year you know bumps him up and then it probably feels like a done deal at that point um but yeah i, I think when you look at w- without james blackman uh you know once that decision was made and, and all those kinds of things. I mean, we've asked ourselves a number of times who who this team's go-to scorer will need to be. And while certainly in the post, that'll be Deron Davis on the perimeter, it feels like it would have to be Robert Johnson. So, you know, if this team's going to be successful, uh, I would say, you know, your 14-point-per-game, uh, you know, kind of benchmark that you laid out there feels like it would be uh, it would be a reasonable one to, to throw out. And at that point... Um, yeah, you get it right into that range. It looks like I may be looking at a slightly different list than, um, than what you had, but you know, that puts him in the, you said that gives him what, 1,468 or 78, uh, 1,468. Yeah. 1,468. So I'm looking at the media guy I'm looking at. says that would put him between DJ white and Bracey, Wright. Actually. Um, I got Bellamy at 19th behind behind DJ White, but so 20th right now is Ray Tolbert, I believe. Um, although somebody could have passed him this year, around right around the 1400 point mark gets you in the in the neighborhood there. So I, I mean, I think that is possible. It's it's one of those things you know, to just to circle back to what you brought up before uh, with some of the record stuff. You know, there is a certain component of this that how much the number of games has changed over time so that, you know, when you're trying to evaluate some of these records and milestones and things like that, they don't necessarily mean what they uh, what they once did. 
that being said, to end up in the top 20, at, you know, IU and scoring, I think is certainly a testament to, you know, Johnson's consistency, as you mentioned. And so uh, hopefully he'll get there. Certainly be good for uh, good for business in the Robert Johnson fan club. And uh, and hopefully he can do it. Uh, by the way, do you know how many points per game Robert Johnson averaged last year? Uh, well, I do because I have it pulled up in front of me. So, you know, 12.8, I believe, is what uh, is what one site would have you believe. And he was a junior. Do you know how many points per game Greg Graham averaged in his junior season? I can only assume it's 12.8. 12.8. Interesting. The comparison continues. Do you know what Greg Graham did as a senior? Uh, he was more up in like the... 17-ish range, wasn't he? Well, 16.5 overall, but in Big Ten play, it went up. And he was obviously phenomenal in February and March, uh, leading to the iconic Herald Times headline that said, Greg Graham, best guard in America, uh, because that's how he was playing. He was playing that well. Now, if Robert Johnson can reach the kind of level that Greg Graham played at as a senior, we're really going to be cooking with gas. Now, you know, I I don't expect that because I think, Greg Graham really kind of reached a next level in his development. But from everything that we've heard of what Robert's doing this offseason, the work that he's putting in, the determination, I wouldn't put it past him. And obviously, if he can get there and if he follows that same trajectory, and as I said, Graham averaged 16.5 points. And if Robert Johnson can do that, I mean, he's going to be firmly in the top 20 uh, and really, I mean, knocking around with some IU basketball royalty there. Uh, and it'll be a real testament to just the hard work and the overall durability and the consistency that Robert's had. There's been some ups and downs. Obviously, you know, last season had more downs than we would have liked, but he's still got a chance to really, you know, secure a, a pretty nice legacy as an Indiana Hoosier. So good. Uh, hopefully he's able to do that. So another good question there. And uh, that, you know, allowed us to do everything. You got to talk about Robert Johnson. I got to talk about Robert Johnson and Greg Graham. And uh, that's what we love doing on this show. And one of the questions coming up will allow us to talk about our uh, our shared favorite player yes. of all time. So this is really, this is like throwback night where we can just reminisce about uh, about IU basketball history. So nothing nothing bad about that at all. That's right. That's right. All right. So coming up, we discuss who is on our IU Mount Rushmore, among other questions. That is next on the Assembly Call Stick with us. Let's keep having some fun. You are listening to the Assembly Call. Remember to go to assemblycall.com slash join to activate your free membership. You will get our weekly Six Banner Saturday news roundups delivered right to your inbox each Saturday or Sunday morning, depending on the week, so you can stay up to date with your Hoosiers during the offseason. And even once the season begins, the URL is assemblycall.com slash join. I am Jared Morris talking IU basketball with my co-host on the Assembly Call, Andy Bottoms. Remember that you can join us after every IU basketball game over at assemblycall.com and every week right here for Assembly Call Radio. All right, our next question, again, we are answering the questions that you submitted via Twitter, comes from Craig, and he asks very simply, who is on your IU Mount Rushmore? This is a great question. And this is a difficult question. So let me tell you what my just gut reaction was when I got this question and just typed it out. The first thing that came to my mind was Calvert Chaney, because he's the all-time leading scorer in school history. Isaiah Thomas, because he's the best player in school history, even though he only had two years he's at IU. I mean, he did win a championship, and he obviously had a remarkable NBA career. Uh, Bob Knight, I mean, he's got to be their legendary coach. And then, of course, Steve Alford, the quintessential Indiana Hoops player. But I looked at those four and immediately started thinking, all right, so where's Quinn Buckner, the greatest winner in school history? Where's Scott May, the best player on the best team? Where's Don Schlunt, perhaps the most dominant player, given what he did in his era? What about Walt Bellamy? Maybe he's the greatest player, basketball player ever in IU history. What about Branch McCracken? What about Everett Dean? What about Bill Garrett, considering his impact on college basketball as a whole? So, Andy, you start going through this. And it gets real difficult real fast, which is a testament to the tradition of IU basketball, how many great players have played. And I think really, you know, the only way to... So there's many different permutations that would be right and no one could really argue with. You know, so I feel like you've got to have, you know, some kind of methodology. You've got to have some kind of criteria that you're using for trying to pick, you know, the four best out of maybe 20, 25 that you could reasonably, you know, have in the discussion. So how did you approach this question and who did you end up choosing? Yeah, it's it's odd. And I feel like we did this last offseason, which I'm sure my answer to this would be probably different now, because I think to your point, there are so many guys that you can think of. Even if you told me, like, narrow it down to 10, 
Um, I think once you get to whatever around the edge of that, it's where it really starts to get, you know, no matter what cutoff you pick, unless you get down pretty far, you always feel like you're leaving somebody out, which again, as you said, I think is, is a testament to things. Um, I will, I will tell you that I, in my head, I immediately went to players. So I did not even think of Bob Knight, which is, is probably weird. So, um, I won't have him on mine just cause I, I don't want it to be obvious that I was swayed by your, uh, your, your superior sense of reason, uh, in this case. Yeah. But is Bob um, Knight even the right coach to have on there? I mean, it seems obvious, but you know, you start going back, it's that, that complicates it even more. So it almost would be yeah. simpler to just go players. Well, and I think the other thing, I think the other thing is about a guy like Isaiah, you start to get into some of the you know, longevity components of things where, you know, two great years, including one that's a championship. Does that, how does that really fit with, um, uh, you know, with, with guys, you know, against other guys who might've been there for four years, if you're comparing him to a Steve Alford, if you're down to those couple, um, couple guys is the tiebreaker that he, one was just there longer than the other. And I think the other challenge is, while certainly I think we both consider ourselves to be relatively, you know, well-versed in the history of IU basketball, there's an inherent nature to to side more with people that we've seen. Um, and as I start to think about, well, if if you took these people away from IU basketball, like what is that? Which ones would have the most impact to, to me historically, I guess, is, is the other part of it. Um so that's a long-winded way to say I don't know that I, you know, if you ask me this question in, tomorrow or even in 20 minutes, um, I may have a different I may have a different answer. I think the two that I um, found easiest, obviously, Calvert Chaney was one. Anybody who's listened to the show for any period of time knows that you and I uh, are in in constant competition to see who who loved him more as a yes <laughs> as an adolescent. Um, so that one was, uh, you know, that one to me was a no-brainer. Okay, I think okay, so, okay so let me let me stop you right okay. there. Let me stop you right there because yeah. I agree with you. Like I always start my list with him, but I wanted to kind of back up because we have a clear bias. I mean. You're the sports heroes that you grew up with, and especially around that like sweet spot of like when you're 10 to 13 and you can go like pretend to be the guy outside. Those always seem to be the guy. Like my dad, you know, to this day, his favorite athlete is Mickey Mantle, you know, because he kind of grew up with him around the same age I was with Calvert. So it, it's kind of like, you know, in the NFL when they're debating the Hall of Fame, it's almost like we shouldn't be allowed in the room for Calvert Chaney discussions because we're biased. <laughs> so, so, so let me let's try to look at it objectively because, you know, look. Calvert, I mean, he's the all-time leading scorer in Big Ten history, a remarkable player. I mean, just an amazing Hoosier through and through. The one blemish on his resume is obviously he never hung a banner, made it to a Final Four, you know, led the team that was number one in the country for most of the year in 93 that a lot of people think would have won if Alan Henderson hadn't gotten hurt. But at a school that measures success in championships, does seem a little bit ironic to make it a no-brainer for a guy who never won a championship. And so are we giving him too much credit should he be a no-brainer on the Mount Rush I, I mean I I still think he is but I just want us to at least explore that maybe we're a little bit biased and not looking at it clearly yeah I, I don't remember all the criteria that we used a couple off seasons ago I believe when we put together the the 50 greatest Hoosiers project I think that was two off seasons ago yeah um and I think we tried to look at it and it kind of threw that way I mean gave extra weight to championships it and those kinds of things and as memory serves he still came out on top so i i did t- i will i will go with our methodology but again i can't I, say that i didn't subconsciously gerrymander that so that he would end yeah. up number one <laughs> that's I mean, I tried also to. it's also possible i don't know but i i stand i stand by that one i i don't know yeah, that no, I'd we did we tried about. to merge the qualitative and the quantitative and yeah i mean it, that's the thing any way you slice it his career was so remarkable But again, you get in even with him, you know, the counting stats, you know, and being able to play four years where some guys didn't, you know, only played three years. Mm -hmm. And so in a lot of his, you know, candidacy, obviously, you know, the the all time scoring record that holds huge weight. You know, who knows what, you know, maybe a guy like Don Schlunt could have done with more games, you know. So anyway, I think we're both going to have him on our Mount Rushmore, but we just wanted to at least acknowledge that there's there's some clear bias from 12 year old Andy and Jared that is coming out here. Yeah, true, true. Um. The other one that I that I went to almost immediately, and and again, this probably goes to the the difference in me from you know a year ago. We might have talked about this before. Would be Bill Garrett, um, because I hadn't read the book yeah. uh, at that point and gotten more you know just more background into that. And I think again, if you if you kind of use the lens of what would IU basketball history be like without this person, um, I think the social importance uh, of him. Um, you know, transcends a little bit of the basketball component, which he was also extremely good at. So, um, and because I, I think, and maybe you'll agree with this, that you know, 
monuments should be conversation starters. And if you're going to have a Mount Rushmore, you know, and you're going to be, you know, a father with his son or daughter, and you're looking up at this IU Mount Rushmore, I want the, you know, the, the, the four most interesting conversations. And I think that clearly Bill Garrett is one of the most interesting conversations in IU basketball and one of the most meaningful ones. And so, I mean, he did, he had a remarkable career, but his career, just his his accolades as a player, don't warrant being up there. But what he meant, you know, as the first, you know, the guy who was, uh, you know, put in a position to be the first to integrate, you know, the the Big Ten to break this gentleman's agreement in the Big Ten, and then you know what he meant to co- to college basketball overall. I mean, that means something, um, and I think that's why he, to me, he goes up there too. Yep. So at that point, then I got it down to four guys for the last two spots, which were Isaiah, Steve Alford, Scott May, and Walt Bellamy. Um, I don't know that you can pick a bad two out of that group. Um, Certainly, uh, if you're playing a game at the height of their powers, I don't think you could go wrong picking any of those guys. Um, So I went with with Alford and May. I, you know, Alford again, I, again, if I, I'd be lying if I said that wasn't part of that of, you know, watching him play and the, and who you're emulating in your driveway as, you know, nine year old me, the three point shot comes around and, uh, and those kinds of things. Um, again, there's a certain longevity component. I think there, um, kind of broke, I, I guess broke him over Isaiah with me, both won championships. Certainly NBA careers were different. If you want to look at what they kind of meant from that perspective, obviously there's, you know, no, no contest there. Uh, and then May, you know, just a dominant player at the again, kind of using at the at the height of his powers um, could easily, if not for, uh, you know, his injury could have been a, a two time champion, at which point he would have been easily a no brainer on the list. Um, so I went I went with those guys. I think any of the other couple that I mentioned, I would certainly not argue with anybody. And I think there's, you know, another list of three or four guys who you could probably make that argument for as well. But I'll I'll go with those four. Yeah, I, I I like your choices. Um, again, you know, I had Bob Knight on mine, and I put Scott May over Steve Alford simply because, you know, to me, when I had Calvert, Bill Garrett, and Bob Knight, you can't not have a player from the 1976 team on there. And so, you know, I think I think Scott May has got to be the guy. And exactly what you said. I mean, if he doesn't break his arm, maybe he's got another another title and another undefeated season, and he's a no brainer. But then, you know, you would have a Mount Rushmore without Steve Alford, which would just seem crazy. So. That again, it's a testament to the rich tradition of Indiana basketball that it's a tough discussion and it's tough to to narrow it down. But I went again with Calvert Chaney, Bill Garrett, Bob Knight, Scott May. Uh, Andy went with Calvert Chaney, Bill Garrett, Scott May, Steve Alford. Obviously, he wasn't looking at coaches. I was. So everybody can bring their own personal biases and criteria to it. But tweet us yours. Send us a tweet at Assembly Call uh, and copy Andy on that too at Andy Bottoms and let us know what your IU basketball Mount Rushmore is. Tell us if you agree with ours, if you disagree, and kind of what criteria that you were looking at. But it's always a, a fun discussion whenever we talk about it. Uh, Andy, I'm thinking let's go to the next segment and we'll catch the rest of the questions there. What do you say? All right. Sounds good. Cool. All right. We're going to do that. We got some really good questions still coming up. Our all time favorite players, not from the state of Indiana. Uh, and a couple of other good ones. So stick with us, and we'll wrap up this episode coming up. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here wrapping up another episode with Andy Bottoms, and we are answering some more of your questions that you submitted via Twitter. We just gave you our IU Basketball Mount Rushmore's, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and this question comes in from our buddy Chris from IU Artifacts, who wants to know, are all-time favorite players not from the state of Indiana? Uh, so, caveat, I'm sure that there are guys that I am forgetting, but the top six off the top of my head, and it's funny, like I did kind of a starting lineup with the first five, and then just about a minute ago, I was like, crap, I forgot about this guy, so I added him. So, favorite guys from out of state. Uh, A.J. Guyton, always been a big A.J. Guyton fan. He's from Peoria, Illinois. Uh, Victor Oladipo from Maryland. Uh, Quinn Buckner is from Illinois. And then two guys that I went to school with, A.J. Moyer and Jeff Newton, both from Georgia. So, not necessarily the best players from out of state, but those are my five favorite players from out of state. And then, of course, I forgot a guy who has to be on any list of favorite IU players not from the state of Indiana, Keith Smart. 
who obviously made one of the biggest shots in IU basketball history. So those are the first six guys that came to mind for me. Uh, let me know which out-of-state guys I'm forgetting. Andy, who would you add to that list? I mean, obviously Robert Johnson. I mean, a clear oh, yeah. a clear miss on your part. I mean, if we want to look at best, um, you know, Quinn Buckner was from Illinois. Uh, Walt Bellamy from North Carolina. I had to look. Yeah, I had to Bellamy. look that one up. I wasn't really sure where he was. He was from. Uh, Isaiah was from Illinois. Some of these, it's funny. If you kind of took away Indiana and the surrounding states, then it starts to get a little bit, uh, a little bit more difficult. Kirk Hastings yeah, from Kirk Tennessee. Yeah, Kirk Hastings, the other one that I would have uh, was another one. Scott Will May Sheehy. was from Sandusky, Ohio. Yep. Uh, yeah. Will Sheehy from Florida. Larry Richardson also from Florida. Uh, Larry uh, an old favorite of mine. DJ White and uh, Watford, both from Alabama, uh, were the other couple that I that I jotted down as well. Yes. Yes, yes. So those are our all-time favorite players. Uh, and again, you know, um, when, when you talk about all-time favorite players, I'm always going to have a soft spot for guys like A.J. Guyton and A.J. Moy and Jeff Newton because, again, that's kind of when I came up as an, as an IU fan. Uh, so a lot of these answers are going to be shaded by that. Um, but we want to know who yours are too. So send us a tweet. Let us know who your favorite players from out of state are. And I'm sure Chris will remind us of the many great players that we just forgot to mention because there are many. Uh, yeah, it's always great when he's the one asking the question when you know he has like a, you know, just a laundry list of ones lined up that he's. It, it always puts a lot of pressure just, on you. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Uh, okay, so here's another question. This comes to us from Bob Thompson. Uh, who's your starting five of Hoosiers who never made it past the first weekend of the NCAA tournament? So, kind of a downer question there, and he even uses the hashtag underachieving all stars. Uh, Andy, I know you did a little digging uh, to find yeah. some names. Yeah, so I basically started looking, starting with 1985 when the tournament expanded to uh, to 64 teams. Um, the thought being, the weekends and the way that we define the tournament today, kind of, kind of started to to feel the way we do today at that point. So, um, yeah, you really get it's hard to find anybody up through from 85 really up until you get into the mid 90s because um, between you know winning the championship in 1987 the you know, those, you know, kind of late 80s, early 90s teams that, you know, consistently made it. Um, you didn't have more than, uh, you know, so they won. Let's see. You didn't have any more than one year in a row where they, you know, didn't get to the second weekend until you got to 1995 and, and 96 when they were, you know, started a run of, uh, of it looks like six straight that they, they didn't make it to the second weekend. Yeah. So you, you kind of got to get to that point oh, right around right when we were in school. So that's that's yeah. cool. Uh, <laughs> although you did at least get to be there for the 2002 run. So um, you at least got got something there. So when you start looking in that era, um, the guys that really stood out, A.J. Guyton, I think, is is the obvious choice from from those kind of mid mid 90s teams. Uh, you know, high high up in the record books was a you know consistent four year performer. Uh, there, the other guy that was overlapped him a little bit would have been uh, Andre Patterson. Um, again, ac- accumulated some stats, but when you start to look, you don't get a whole lot of guys who were there very long who were uh, fairly consistent contributors. So he would be in the mix for that. Uh, Kirk Haston would be another one, uh, a three-year guy, um, but his you know last season was when they lost to Kent State in the first round. Just imagine uh, you know, if he had stayed. For yes, exactly, exactly. So those were kind of the three from that era, and then. Um, you get more toward the end of the Davis era and into the uh, the era of he who shall not be named. Uh, so DJ White, uh, to bring him back up again uh, there from 2004 through 2008, uh, would have fit in that. Um, you know, Bracey Wright, I know we've we, we've talked about uh, him a little bit on the show before. Again, I don't know that he's anyone's uh, favorite player from that era, but if you look just at stats, um, you know, he would be in the mix there. And then Eric Gordon, kind of weird to figure out, like, do you really only need a, you know, does a one-year guy fit this criteria? Um, but I guess if you're just looking at best players, hey, uh, if we're who didn't together make it, an all-star team, we want mix. we want Eric Gordon on that all-star team. So, so I guess if I had roll to get out five, our best five. That, yeah, I guess if I had to get five, because then really the Korean era, there's nobody who didn't who was you know a key contributor who didn't who didn't do that. I mean, if we want to go the one year thing, I guess Vonley maybe is um, part of that conversation. But um, so I guess. I guess yeah, thanks. <laughs> if I yeah, bring bring that up. Uh, you know, so if I had to go five, I guess I'd probably go. Andre Patterson, Guyton, Haston, DJ White, and uh, and Eric Gordon. So a little uh, a little heavy in the front court there, but uh, I guess if I had to pick five, 
Um, those are the guys of those ones that I mentioned that were kind of the ones I, I like the most. So I guess I would go with that uh, unless I'm really missing somebody. So you always wonder if the person who's submitting these questions has an idea in their head, kind of like what we talked about with with uh, you know, with Chris from my artifacts for the other one. It's like yeah. I'm going to submit a question and see if these idiots can get the answer right. So we'll see. We'll know. see how we did. I don't know. We'll see if, if Bob can evaluate how he did on that one. Yes, please do. And Bob, let us know who we may have forgotten. So we've got one more question. We'll hit it real quick. We've got about a minute left. This is from Ben. If you could think of another former or current player who would make a great addition to the staff alongside Derek Elston, who would it be? Uh, that's easy. Calvert Chaney, bring him back, get him on the staff, get him in Bloomington. Uh, I you know, don't actually think that's going to happen, but I would say Jordan Hulls. I would love to see Jordan come back he actually seems to me he's a guy kind of like Archie Miller actually you know undersized people told him he was too short but just an elite shooter a gritty guy a tough guy uh and I think Jordan he's the kind of guy that would make a good coach to where you're not just succeeding on physical gifts and you can't teach someone your physical gifts but you can teach them you know hard work and skill development and a lot of a lot of the stuff that Jordan needed to succeed so I always like those kind of guys as my coaches uh and so I think Jordan Hulls would be a good one Andy got about 20 seconds anyone come to your mind who would make a great no I, you know it, it's funny I think you took the two that I I probably would have picked you know Cheney for reasons we talked about before but I think the whole thing is good it clearly just has a uh, you know, a mind for the game. And I think uh, wouldn't be surprised to see him get into to coaching in some capacity uh, at some point going forward. So I think that would be a, another excellent choice, a hometown guy as well. So uh, I think a good combination all around with him. Absolutely. All righty. Well, that will do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live simulcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to activate your free Assembly Call membership. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to support the show, Please share the Assembly Call with a friend or family member who loves IU basketball like you do. You can also visit assemblycall.com support to learn a few ways you can help, from donating to grabbing official Assembly Call gear to buying IU merchandise that you'd buy anyway but using our special affiliate links, which get us a commission. We rely on the support of audience members like you to keep the Assembly Call alive and growing. Once again, the URL is assemblycall.com slash support. Thank you, and as always, go Hoosiers. From the company that brought you Rocket Mortgage comes Rocket Pro Insight, the innovative product designed to give real estate agents control like never before. Rocket Pro Insight allows agents to send files on their clients' behalf and get to closing faster. Sign up today at rocketpro.com slash real estate and get the freedom to check a client's progress from anywhere at any time. Offer cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. MLS Consumer Access .org, number 3030. IBM Cloud offers millions of different server configurations with 20 terabytes of bandwidth cost-free. Get the compute power you need and deploy on demand, but at prices set for smart cost management. Visit ibm.biz slash bare metal servers to customize your server today. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.